just a, a few uh, announcements I'd like to make you aware of. Uh, we don't know how long we're going to be in the purple tier, uh, and so how long it is before we'll be able to make, meet uh, person to person. And so uh, watch your email, watch our website, and uh, call if, if you don't, if you're not sure, give uh, one of the elders a call, give me a call, and uh, we'll clue you in as to what's going on and what we know. And uh, we also wanted to let you know that we are still collecting the socks and the jackets, and we're just asking you to hang on to them until the time where we can get together, and we'll make sure that they all make it to the rescue mission. And then uh, I've been asked a couple times about offerings. We have a locked mailbox now outside, and so you can mail the offers direct to the church if you, are, if you have offerings to, to give to us. So uh, with that, uh, we're doing a read through the Bible in a year, and right now we're working our way through the Old Testament, and each week we're going to be giving a message on the part of the reading of this coming week, of the week has passed, one of the two, and uh, so uh, today our message is going to be on Exodus, and uh, so far I think by the, the, the schedule you should be in chapter 3 of Exodus as of today. Uh, let's, before we get into the word together, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. You tell us very clearly that it is your word. That we can rely on it, trust in it, and know that it is the truth. And so we come to you asking you that through your Holy Spirit, you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what you would have each of us received today. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to share, even if it's over the uh, airwaves, so to speak. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, strengthen us, strengthen our walk with you, Lord. Cause us to be the witnesses that you want us to be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, chapter that we're going to be looking at today is Exodus chapter 17 and uh, as the focal point, but there's a few things I want to share as we get to that point. Uh, kind of a, you might call it a brief overview of the first half of the book of Exodus. Uh, and the, you know, most of us uh, have, have seen the story of the Exodus, maybe the movie of the Exodus, the Ten Commandments, and different uh, ways that you've been exposed to it, but we know that uh, within the framework of the, the first books, uh, the first chapters of Exodus, Moses is born, uh, he becomes a, a man aware of his call to lead the people of, of Israel out of Egypt, he decides uh, that he's going to do this and he does it in his own strength and ends up killing an Egyptian uh, leader of, and and. Uh, runs out of Egypt to Midian, where he becomes a shepherd for, uh, who becomes his father-in-law Jethro. And it would appear that that's what he was going to be because for the next 40 years of his life, that's what he was doing until we get to the burning bush in chapter 3 of Exodus. And we hear God giving him a call to go to Egypt and deliver the people. And that's where we get the name for God, 
I am. I am that I am. And so uh, that comes along, and then, and then as he goes to Egypt with, his, uh, with Aaron uh, to uh, deliver the people, God has a plan uh, that will involve uh, ten plagues that will finally bring Pharaoh to his knees. And the plagues uh, come uh, one at a time. Each time Pharaoh uh, starts to back away and then he relents and, and, and uh, says, no, you can't leave. And finally, the last plague, the, the death of the firstborn, the death of the, uh, not only the firstborn of, the, of people, but the firstborn of the animals and, and everything were, it was all throughout Egypt except for those who were told to put the blood of their lamb that they had uh, sacrificed and, and, and roasted that night, that they took the blood of the lamb and put it up the, the sides of the door and over the doorpost. And the uh, angel of death would pass over them. This is where Passover comes from. And so uh, the result of this Tenth plague was uh, in chapter twelve. It says was a great cry in Egypt, and Pharaoh actually says in chapter twelve of, of Exodus, "Be gone, go." Uh, in verse thirty three of of chapter twelve. Uh, It says the, the, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. In other words, they were in fear of their, their lives of more plagues, and they said, be, you know, Pharaoh says, be gone, and, they, and the people says, they were urgent with the people to send them out of the land. And so they were ready to uh, see them gone. The... Israelites were led by pillars of, of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. And that was to let them know that God was with them. In chapter 14 of Exodus, we have the, the time where they approached the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army with his 600 chariots is rushing down towards them. And they are crying out, Lord, why did you bring us out here just to die here? And uh, Moses says, just look towards the sea, watch, and, and, and go forward. And so forward, they, you know, Moses went and he held up his rod according to what God told him to do, and the seas parted. Now, I've seen that done with the cinematography and all of those kinds of things, and it's pretty amazing just to watch it that way. But can you imagine what it must have been like to see it in its reality? To see it cast, uh, the, 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 the waves come back and the, the sea pulled apart, and then to cross on dry ground. It, was, it would have to just be the most amazing thing to see. And so the Hebrew people go through, and then the ocean closes over the Egyptian army, and the army is lost. So. You see God's hand all through this, leading them in the pillar of cloud, leading them in the pillar of fire, uh, providing for them, covering them, uh, getting them through the Red Sea, 
all these things that they were doing. In fact, they also left Egypt with a great amount of wealth because God told them to ask for the jewels and their rings and their gold. And the Hebrew people were so anxious to get rid of them. That, I mean, the Egyptians were so anxious to get rid of them that they gave the Hebrew people, the Israelites, all their wealth. And so they left with tremendous wealth, animals, uh, cattle, sheep, and made it through the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh's army was crushed. Now you would think with all of this, there would begin to be a sense of confidence that everything was going their way. Yet in chapter 16, where I want to just read a few things before I get to chapter 17. They set out for Elam, from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This idea of grumbled was that they, they were unhappy, malcontent, and they were very vocal about it. And the people of Israel said to, to Aaron and to Moses, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the, great, uh, the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger expressing their, uh, the reality is that they've obviously run out of their stores and, 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 and their goods, and, and they're you know, coming before God and saying, you know, you know, before Aaron and Moses, and, 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 and saying, we're dying. We're going to die from hunger out here. In 16, chapter 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And that was all that they were supposed to gather was a day's portion. If they gathered more than that, it would rot. Except that the last day of the week, uh, the sixth day, they could gather twice as much and have it for the Sabbath where they weren't to, to do anything and it would be okay. So God was preparing, you know, uh, uh, providing for them. The, the, the term for this, I know that you are aware of, is manna. God provided the manna from heaven. And uh, they gathered it up, and they used it, and, and they could eat. God also provided for them, uh, it says in chapter 16, quail in the evening. So now they had meat. They had the bread, they had the meat. And then we get to chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at uh, Rephidim. Uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some 
of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out from it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place uh, Massah and Mirabah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here they got it, you know, got them through the Red Sea, provided them with the, the manna, provided them with quail, and now they come up to another barrier that they could see and they're saying, oh, is God even here with us? And again, doubting God's presence. God says, go up. I want you to strike this rock and, and, and it will gush out water, Moses. And it's exactly what it did. Paul has something interesting. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, to say about this situation. And I'd like to share it with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first four verses. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses into the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. This is an interesting picture. They were getting their water that would bring them life, Paul says, from Christ in the desert. The pre-incarnate Christ. This is before the Word became flesh. This is Jesus Christ of the Old Testament. And in this picture is what one would call a type or a foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. The rock. There's uh, in, in verse 6 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, we'll, we will be faithful to depend on God. We will trust that God is with us. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, we will believe that God is going to see us through, be with us, and that he's sovereign and in charge. Nothing's going to happen that God doesn't allow and won't see us through. This word example here used in verse 6, it's also used again in verse 11, is a word that literally means a type. Uh, it, 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 the easiest way for me to explain it, it was the way it was explained to me years ago, was like a tin type. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with, with old photography, but the, the piece of tin that, that would go into the, the old camera, the sun comes into it, and it literally burns a picture onto the, the, the tin. And, and that you look at the tin type and you see the shadowy make, uh, things of, of what the picture should be. And you can't hardly make it out. Uh, in, in more modern photography, sometimes we, you know, we would get the uh, negatives for our 
photographs. And you could, you could look at a negative like this and put it up to the light and try to figure out whose, whose face that was or who, what person or what particular event that was until you saw the completed picture. The Old Testament is full of, if you will, tin types, full of types that are yet undeveloped but become clear or developed in the New Testament, and many of them about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is full of them. The rock is used often as a symbol of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, it says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect. Or David's song of deliverance that's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. In Psalm 61, we have uh, the picture here. Here it says, uh, David writes, uh, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. These references to the rock are, are again, uh, types of the picture of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. My, one of my favorite uh, passages, is, I, I call it one of my go-to verses, is Psalm 40. And uh, take a quick look at that, where it also uses this picture of the rock. David writes, I waited patiently, or the word is expectantly, men are anticipating that something was going to happen. So it's more than just sitting there wondering if something's going to happen, but waiting expectantly. So I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. In other words, he, he leaned his ear. You, know, you think about how you shift your head and listen to something like this. That's the idea that he inclined to me and heard my cry. In other words, he took notice of me. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love that, those, those three verses there in the opening of Psalm 40. Waiting on the Lord, and then it says the Lord, notice where, where he was waiting. He was waiting in the miry bog. He was in the pit of destruction. What it is saying, basically, that he was in the, the, the mix of his own sin and he was waiting expectantly for God to deliver him. And it says that, that he was pulled out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, something that he couldn't get out of by himself. I think if you, if you were trying to picture it, it would be to be in a deep hole out of your reach to be able to get out, filling up with water, and it was muddy. And you try to climb out, and there's no way. You just keep sliding back in. You have to have someone to lift you out. That's what his, this picture is. He's lifted out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and it says his feet were set upon a rock, making my steps secure. The rock, again, being a picture 
a tintype of Jesus, our deliverer, and our the person that sets the path for us. And notice what the end result is, a great sense of joy. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. By the way, when you read the account of the Hebrew people getting through the sea, they break out in song. They know they've been delivered. It's the first time they have sung since the time that they, they left Egypt, uh, and who knows how long before that. And so they, they break out in rejoicing. When God, when you know that God has done something for you, you can't help but, but to, to, to speak out, rejoice, and say, thank you. I was uh, looking at, at a, a few uh, verses that have to do with water in the New Testament with reference to Jesus. The living water. The water that flowed out of the rock was the living water. And by the way, when you get into to, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you'll notice that the word rock it says, from, uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In the English Standard Version and several other versions, the word rock is capitalized because they, it is referring to Christ. It is a type of Christ. Now, this picture of the rock pouring out water, gushing out water, is typical of Jesus and in other ways. In John chapter 4, uh, well, let's, uh, let's go to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus speaks about uh, the the water. This is the story of the woman of Samaria at the well. Uh, And it says, the woman uh, from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not talk to women uh, when they were alone. They didn't initiate the conversation. And then a Samaritan, they were the, the, the enemy of, of, of the Jewish people, so to speak. And so he said, she's amazed that Jesus, a Jew, would be speaking to her. They had, you know, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, it says here. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons in his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But he who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become, in, uh, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living water. In chapter 6 of John, we have another picture of Jesus supplying the living water in John chapter 6. 
uh, starting with uh, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. A reference to the manna in a sense. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but rise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to, sh- uh, to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And one more picture in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Starting with verse... 37. Now, what's going on in chapter 7 is the, 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 the feast of the, of the booths or, or the tabernacles or uh, tents, if you will. And I'll explain that in just a minute. The rivers of living water. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom was, uh, who those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus again calling himself the living water, the one who gives the living water to the point where those he gives the living water to will have it in them to give to others. I wanted to share with you in reference to that uh, something from uh, the Jews for, uh, for Jesus uh, from a, a conference a, a long time ago that I was uh, part of. Uh, the festival of booths occurs after the harvest has been completed and before the beginning of the new agricultural year. It includes the well-deserved rest from one's labor and sincere rejoicing in what God has done in providing for his people. Jews are also called upon to remember God's providential care over us after we were redeemed from bondage in Egypt. Jews are to remember his provision for us during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. That is why God commanded Israel to observe the festival by leaving our permanent dwellings to live in the more fragile temporary booths or tents and instituted the the, the festival of booze as a reminder that dependence upon him was not something that ended when the promised land was reached. Thus, even after a good harvest, we need to remember year after year the temporal nature of this life and the fact that we must ultimately rely on God to provide for us. So what they're saying was that this was a, they, they left their homes, they moved in back into uh, what would be temporary dwellings, uh, lean-tos made with palm branches, all sorts of different ways uh, they would leave their homes and stay in these places to uh, be a sense of living out the, the traveling through the wilderness. And during that time, uh, they would uh, get together. And then on the last day, it's called the great day of the feast, a particular event would happen. And this is where Jesus had spoken out on the last day of the great feast. 
It says, uh, for again, from the Jews for Jesus, on the last or great day of the feast, the water libation rite reached its climax. The priests circled the altar seven times and then poured out the water with great pomp and ceremony. They would cry out uh, praises to the Lord and, and thanking God for saving them. And then it says, uh, we find a significant mention of Hoshana Rabbah, uh, Rabbah in the New Covenant book of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 52. It was on this day, the, la- the last and greatest day of the feast, possibly just as the water was being poured out by the priest, that Yeshua, Jesus, stood up and boldly proclaimed to the celebrants, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. John 7:38. Imagine the uproar this statement must have caused. The priest had just poured out the water libation as an appeal to the Creator God to provide water for the people. And Jesus, as if to answer the prayer, tells the people to come to him for water. What a radical statement and shocker to the crowd. Jesus was claiming to be none other than the creator himself when he invited them to come to him. Some recognized his authority and plainly said, he is the Messiah. Others were absolutely incensed. Some wanted to seize him and have him stoned for blasphemy. That is claiming to be that that is claiming to be God. Yet we read that the temple guards were unable to lay a hand on him when the Pharisees and the chief priests questioned the guards as to why they could not arrest him. They just simply responded, "No one has ever spoke the way this man does." The temple guards were transfixed by his word. They were unable to act against Jesus when faced with his obvious authority. Uh, the Temple of Booths is something that you can look up also in uh, Leviticus chapter 22 and Numbers chapter 29. Now I want to take a step backwards to Israel in the wilderness and a second thirsty episode, if you will, uh, is found in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. This time, however, as they are crying out for water, the rock is there, Moses cries out to God, and, and uh, as he cries out to God, he says, what am I going to do with these people? And he says, I want you to go back and I want you to speak to the rock. It's in verse 8. Let me uh, share that with you out of Numbers chapter 20. Take the staff, and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, or speak to the rock, before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for, for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he was commanded. However, when he got to the rock, he was so angry with the people that he struck it first time nothing happened he struck it again and then the water came out the uh, but I borrowed something from Chuck Smith 
in, in reference to this. He said, The Lord said that Moses was banned from going into the promised land because he rebelled against the commandment of God and did not sanctify God before the people at the waters of Mirabah, this particular situation in Numbers 20, in the wilderness of Zin. How so? Did not God tell Moses to strike the rock in the earlier episode? Yes. But this time he told Moses to speak to the rock, and Moses, in his anger with the people, struck the rock twice. Moses thus destroyed the type that God was creating for the future generation. It was necessary that the rock be smitten the first time, that the water, uh, that the water of life flow forth to the people of God. Once smitten, the rock never needed to be smitten again. All one has to do is to speak to the rock and the water of life will flow forth to them. Do you see the picture he's developing here? Jesus had to be smitten in order that he, or struck, in order that he might receive the forgiveness of our sins. Once smitten, he never needs to be smitten again. All we have to do is to speak to the rock and the water of life will flow freely to us. What a powerful picture. Again, all of this developed as a type of picture of how God plans to deliver us in the ultimate final way, completely something that will happen through Jesus Christ that never has to repeat it again after that. As a result, we can, we can go and, 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 and look at different things and, and see how this worked out in Acts chapter 16, Paul is uh, witnessing to the Philippian jailer, and there's this great earthquake, and the, the gates of the, the cells open, and, and the jailer's about ready to commit suicide because he's going to be held accountable uh, for the prisoners escaping. And Paul calls out and says, you don't have to worry. Don't kill yourself. We're all, we're all here. And the, he was so impressed with Paul's countenance that he asked, he says, what must I do to be saved? And he basically said, call on the name, speak to Jesus, call on the name of Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. In Romans chapter 10, Paul tells him again to speak out to God. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. We don't have to do anything other than to speak it. Speak to Jesus to be saved. Speak to Jesus to be drawn closer to him. This is what we're called to do. And so when I look back at what Paul wrote there in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he calls, again, Jesus the rock, the rock was Christ. All that, that we need to do is to speak to Jesus Christ, our rock, the rock of our salvation. And he will deliver us. What a powerful thing we have in Jesus Christ. There's a, a really neat saying that I first heard uh, just shortly after I had become a Christian uh, with a guest speaker uh, from a Bible college was sharing with our congregation, with our church. And uh, 
He said something that I've always remembered. I've heard a few others say it, but I don't hear it frequently. And that is that the Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. He's all through the Old Testament. We've already done a couple of sermons that would, would show this. Go back, clear back to the message we did on Genesis chapter 3. The seed of a woman. His heel will be bruised by Satan, but Satan's head will be crushed by him. Who is the seed? Jesus Christ. That's a type, a tin type, a type that will be developed in the New Testament and ultimately in the book of Revelation. Speak to Jesus to be saved. Speak to Jesus to be drawn closer to Him. He's already been struck for us. All we have to do is speak to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for all that You have done. That we could go through the book, for instance, the book of Hebrews, and see over again that, that, that once and for all, You accomplished on the cross what is necessary for salvation. And that we need to confess that and believe in that. Call on You to come into us. And You are eager and willing to do this. I think of, of, of Psalm 40. Here we are stuck in the miry pit of, of our own sins, of clay, and, the, and, and, and can't get out. And it says, I cry out, and you incline your ear. You come to listen and hear us. And then you deliver us and you set our feet on solid rock. We thank you, Lord, for the picture of you, the rock of our salvation. We ask, Lord, that we can carry that message to others as we live it out in our lives, that they might know, just like the, the Philippian jailer or the others that, that Paul witnessed to, and, uh, that we would, would carry the message of Christ, the living